0: brought you living in the woods for the end of time comes living further out in the woods I don't know off the planet in a spaceship somewhere in the middle of the ocean that's where it is like on a pontoon boat in the middle of the ocean I ever heard of Point Nemo it's it's the, the place in the Pacific Ocean that is mm-hmm. closer to the International Space Station when it flies yeah. overhead than it is from any point uh, on Earth.
1: Yeah, I, I don't believe that's, that's true. By the way, it I is just true. Mean, it, I don't, no, it but I don't believe it's big, I, it. It's a
0: big ocean. It's a
1: huge. Yeah, yeah I, I know, but you, I still don't believe yeah. that.
0: No, you'll 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 believe it when you live there. When you no. take your little, <laughs> you take your little raft,
1: no. the little dinghy. Put, you,
0: yeah, your little dinghy, and then you, you set up shop at Point Nemo. No. J D Bunkus, how now? I you need to see the now? tape
1: measurer. I need to see them get a tape measure and show me no. hard evidence yeah. that there's a place on earth that's farther you know. from land and space. I don't yep. believe it. I'll never believe it's it.
0: Low low level space,
1: but yeah. No. <laughs> low level space. <laughs> yeah. How it's not space then. It's not space. It's barely space. It
0: is it's truly barely space, but it is
1: space. Mm, I I'm, I'm not buying I... it. I'm not it's not that it.
0: long ago I went on a Point Nemo deep dive. So, yeah, yeah. I got all my Point Nemo um, information that I can oh, yeah. hand over oh, to you yeah. now to your new home in Point Nemo where you will live away from all the Habs fans. No, you I'm who are sure now you're in the Stanley Cup R- final.
1: I'm sure your research is just uh, impeccable really on the yes. subject matter. Uh, Wikipedia. Um, what is Point Nemo? I watch you... some YouTube videos. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you watch some YouTube videos and that's you're like, right. "Oh, it's far, f- it's far from land, eh?" And and then you go, "Don't lash out." Wow. Wow. It's far from land. I watched a YouTube video. What was the YouTube video about? They like, they they go point out there. Emo. No. they what what what's there to know? That's it. That's the point. That's like that's it that so they made a youtube video about a thing that yeah, you just need one. yeah <laughs> yeah video. it's it's far from land end of video yeah yeah i hate it, it here. you'll know I, that i i don't know what to tell you man this is <laughs> this sucks so much but this sucks so much because you can never stop thinking about the leafs all you want to do is take your summer and go hey the leafs Normally when the Leafs screw you, you can at least just be like, well, they sucked and you don't need to care anymore. And now let's all check it and enjoy a Stanley Cup Finals with two teams that there's no emotional investment in. We get to actually enjoy the hockey and some NBA Finals and then bring on the Blue Jays, right? Go down to the ballpark, have yourself a Bud Light, sit in the sun, roast, and normally watch a bad team. Not this year, though. And this is the just the, the kick that keeps on kicking. It's just lingering. It won't stop. I This is the worst part. I've basically gotten Stockholm Syndrome now because all I've been doing is watching Habs games, and it's hard to watch a team play this way with the players they have and not start to like them a little bit and right. go, man, I'm so happy for Carey Price. He's the best goalie of my generation. He plays the position I care the most about. He is a superstar in every way. Like, I'm just enamored with the guy. Shea Weber... I was one of the only people on the planet who didn't hate the Shea Weber trade in the first place and said, that guy is actually really good and I don't know why Montreal Canadiens fans who are now celebrating him daily all hate this trade so vehemently and I'm happy to see that guy do that. Cole Caulfield is incredible. How could you not be enjoying watching Cole Caulfield? That goal was spectacular. Mm-hmm. And you remember that he's just, he didn't even play the first game of as the as Stanley Cup playoffs this year. Like, that guy was sitting down. How could you not at least respect and admire what this Habs team does? They're so gutty. And what I love about them maybe more than anything other than Carey Price because I just, as much as I want the Habs to not win Stanley Cups, I do love Carey Price. Like, I just don't know how you couldn't if you're a Canadian hockey fan or you're just a hockey fan in general. He's a stud. Like, who doesn't at least respect Carey Price? But they're so comfortable in these games. I thought Craig Simpson nailed it last night. Listening to Simmer talk about how Vegas looks frustrated, and even when the game was tied, that it felt like Montreal's game because they just sit in these contests where they're up a goal or it's tied, and they're so happy to just keep limiting your chances, keep you to the outside, not let you play the game you want to play, and knowing that... They're eventually going to get a shot. And when they get that shot, they're nails and they come through with it. And they got all kinds of different guys who can do it. <sighs> and they, they play like a March Madness team that's just loose and having fun and all over other teams. I, yeah. So. I like this Habs team. I hate that I like this Habs team. It's an even worse part of the component about this, but mm-hmm. I even wondered how many people are listening to the show today, how many people are even, <laughs> like, paying attention to stuff. point, Nemo? Well, yeah, because I think that this is tough for Leafs fans, dude. Like, And, and if I'm a Habs fan, I want to hear this, by the way. So, yeah. uh, like, I don't want to just hear me come on and say how great it is. You want to know that this is inflicting pains with, I don't know if it's your rival or your regional rival, mm-hmm. because... It does. It does. It does. It does. Now we're back into having these horrific conversations about, does this make it better or worse for the Leafs? And you go, it's all bad. (laughs) There was never anything that was going to come from this that made it better. Uh, Like, what, you feel better about the Leafs now? I don't know how you could get there. Uh, you have to keep watching the Habs fans dance on your grave, have a summer that you hoped you would be having. So, yeah, it's, it's horrible, and yet all I can do is just tip the cap and say, I'm going to do my very best to enjoy the Stanley Cup final. And I've already taken it in as I'm just going to be happy for Carey Price. <laughs> I'm oh, just yeah, going to sure, be happy sure. for sure. Carey Price. He deserves it.
0: Sure, 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 sure. It was uh, a month ago yesterday, by the way. Uh, Leaps won four nothing in mm. game four to take a three one series lead on the
1: Montreal See, it feels like it's into. been five years. Like I, it really yeah. does. It feels like we've been doing this for five years, just pain show for five years, and it, it was a month ago. You're saying so. Yeah. Is this next month gonna take as long? Because please, no.
0: No, 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 no. There's only one series left, uh, so you only have to see uh, two mm-hmm. more weeks of hockey. Um, but yes, a a team that is full credit for being here. It's also interesting to see the discussion surrounding the Vegas Golden Knights, who basically the same thing happened to them that happened to the Leafs, like their best scores, their top scores. It's really worse than the Leafs in many respects. I mean, the Leafs won three games off the Montreal Mm Canadiens. Knights only won two. Mark Stone, zero points, like not zero goals, zero points. Max Pacioretty Mm -hmm. One goal. Mm-hmm. Marcheseau, so one assist. That's it. Ma- I, Carl- I, I
1: stand by my take. Marcheseau so was on the take. Like, uh, that, uh, guy, <laughs> that guy, that <laughs> guy, I cannot believe how bad that guy was in this series. I, I have not seen a guy play that poorly, maybe ever. Like, yeah. I, every time he was on the ice, I'm like, what dumb thing is this guy going to do now? What bad thing is this guy gonna do now? And every time I thought it, he did something that I, I was like, Well, there well there it is. Oh yeah. wow, way to go, Marshall. Way to miss the net by a hundred feet again. Sorry. No. He just hey, particularly w- stuck out to me. Like as you I can know. tell. I had I, how many uh, texts I did I text, text in the yes. group chat oh, about Marshall? Yes. Yeah.
0: Man, you seem to know that he has a <laughs> a cottage in Chelsea, I guess. Or the, the theoretical cottage in oh, Chelsea.
1: Buddy, that guy <laughs> <laughs> Guess what? Any Habs fans he sees over the summer at the cottage when he goes back to Quebec, they're gonna be like, Thank you, Jonathan, thank you, like you did your job for the for Quebec. He's like, I know, I did it. Like that's it. He's great. He's a hero in Quebec. No, Best player is... best player on the Habs, Jonathan Marsh, It's
0: it's funny when you do this. And I did it with the Sharks thing, right? And even during that era of San Jose Sharks being a good team that makes the playoffs and makes you know, not super deep playoff runs until they made that cup final against the Pittsburgh Penguins, Uh, but they were perennial losers, and Sharks fans were so downtrodden and beaten up where you were a Leaf fan, you couldn't even get to the playoffs for forever, and when Mm -hmm. you got there, you couldn't even win around. You're like, oh, can we please trade? Can we trade 100 times out of 100? But it is interesting to see some of the questions being thrown at the Vegas Golden Knights and some of the narrative surrounding that team, how similar they are, To the Leafs. And I guess it's just what this Montreal Canadiens team does to you. But it's, hey, you're, I get it. Like, Phil Deneau, holy cow, (laughs) can you be in the con
1: smite discussion with like no points and no goals? Uh, Small victories, by the way, unrestricted free agent. Okay, so that's good. I hope he asked for $10 million. <laughs> like, he's so good. He's so good. We got to keep gassing up Phil Deneau just every day. You know what? This guy, pizza guy, hey, you got to give this yep. guy money for more pizzas. Well, he, maybe that's he needs how they're going
0: to skirt the salary cap, though, right? They're going to be like, hey, we give you a, a million dollars a year over eight years, but you make another 20 a year from yeah. pizza pizza in endorsement deals. Um, so I get it. He, Phil Deneau is great. But you're Mark freaking Stone. You're the captain of a Mm -hmm. team that tied for the lead in points for the President's Trophy this season. You can't go six games. I I don't care against, like, whatever, the mid-'90s Devils and Marty Brodeur without a single freaking point. And kudos to him. He did take responsibility at the end of that thing. But the the conversation surrounding that team, I I heard a question legitimately, why – when you get into these post-season series against playoff-hardened and, and teams that play that specific playoff style of defense, why can you not break through? So <laughs> it's hilarious for a team that has been to a cup final, that was in a conference final a season ago, they're having those same questions surrounding them that the Leafs did against this Montreal Canadiens team.
1: Mm. I don't think the Leafs would have those same questions if they... Uh had what the Golden Knights have done. I'm just saying I, I don't feel that comfortable comparing the two teams in terms of the level of success. I, I, ugh. That just shows you how this market works in terms of reality, which is places where they're actually winning series and getting close. They're the ones who are having like, hey, what's the killer instinct yeah. component to win a cup? The Leafs are like, what's the killer instinct component to win one singular playoff series over the course of two decades? What can they do for that? And you, and it's like that's the same. Mm, that's tough. That was the other thing. I, 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 I hate doing these discussions over and over where it feels like you're kicking the Leafs while they're down because I, what's there to say at this point? They blew it. They were up three-one and. They were the more talented team. They just didn't play better playoff hockey when it mattered. Montreal figured it out. They unlocked something, which was... They were good
0: in those final Mm -hmm. three games of the series. They weren't this good because they were allowed to get this good. They were allowed to get this good.
1: Montreal figured it out. You, again, tip the cap and say you were the better team. Enough of the whole, like, the Leafs were the better team thing. They lost, okay? So however you want to spin it, Habs were the better team. And especially considering that the Habs were in the same position the Leafs were in for three games. The Leafs were in that position for one and completely crumbled, right? The other team just responded and was like, our backs are against the wall. We have to play our best hockey. Mm -hmm. Remember the quote from Carey Price where he said, this is the best defensive game our team has played all season? And it was true. It's probably not true anymore because this Vegas series felt like... I don't remember them feeling dangerous at any point outside of maybe the first game. Mm -hmm. So... Mark Stone goes up to the podium and he says he takes a lot of the responsibility. He talks about getting skunked. We should have just played the audio. But yeah, as soon as you hear that, you know what the conversation is going to be, which is, well, why didn't Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner do that? It's like, because they didn't, okay? Like, yeah, would I have preferred they did it that way? But ultimately, what does it change? Like Nothing. Does does it really matter that Mark Stone took a bunch of responsibility and admitted that like he got it. skunked? Can I just say I liked it? Yeah, of course. Everybody likes accountability, right? I'm just saying that, to me, it, it doesn't change anything for Toronto other than the fact that we have to go through another cycle of just ripping down the people in this city. And I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of moving past that. Like... I didn't the like the way the Marner same. handled his... Exactly. I didn't like the way Marner handled his media conference. Whatever. Some guys... Mitch Marner's not Mark Stone. Like, Mark Stone's an older player. He's a captain of a team for a reason. That that He exudes those types of leadership qualities. I, I just didn't think that it was like... As soon as I saw it, all I could think of was, boy, this could not be getting worse in terms of just things that are going to be discussed and debated with the Leafs and how... Yeah, all of it is, all of these things, you're just stuck, 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 talking about the Leafs. The deeper the Habs go, the more you are just connected to the idea that you have to keep reliving the what-ifs and the yeah buts and the what-abouts.
0: Um, I think Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner should have sounded more like Mark Stone, but here's what's true. Sure. And I, I don't think that they, like, they kept bringing up the, you know, dominating the early parts of overtimes and the number of chances that that top line had. And I thought that was stupid and unfair. But here's the reality. They did have more chances than Mark Stone. Like, a ton more
1: chances. Yeah, no. Mark Stone got his ice time brought down (laughs) in that game, which was the opposite of what happened with the Leaf Stars. It was, hey, you guys getting your minutes bumped up. Mark Stone, they were like, we can't play you this much because you're not doing anything. So, really tough for Mark Stone. Really tough for the Golden Knights. I, I don't really... Like, maybe we can take a break and ask Merrick what he thinks they should do there. I don't really have a hard fast opinion on that. Like I at this point you got to believe that they've they're going to what move off one of the goalies and try to oh, add yeah, sure. salary to the forward groups so that it turns out that all the castaways from other organizations maybe are not the actually best guys. I don't know. But yeah, the Habs are awesome and they've got an awesome playoff team. And I I truly, truly, truly believe that they're going to win the Stanley Cup.
0: Oh, well, yes. I mean, Tampa, Islanders, it doesn't matter because they can shut down... I mean, 30 straight kills on penalty kill. They have shut down every top player. Kucherov may be out for a cup final or at least a couple of games. The Islanders, they play the same style, but the Habs play it better. I I mean, they might be favored in that series.
1: One last thing I want to quickly talk about the Blue Jays and then we'll get back into it with Merrick on the other side uh i love having fan chirp stuff i actually don't mind eating the trash from people whatsoever like when it's fun like habs fans reaching out slamming me in the dm slamming me on twitter what i like it's awesome you know you totally deserve it my friends doing the same thing to me awesome my you know what irks me more is my leaf fans friends going like Man, this sucks. I hate this so much. This hurts. You don't have to do a content on this every day. You don't have to watch these games. You can just stick your head in the sand and walk away or stay stuck, whatever. Which is the yeah. analogy or whichever one you want to use. Um, but I just – I do love hockey and I care about the sport. And seeing a market like Montreal do this as opposed to – as, As opposed to a lot of other hockey markets, right? Where it's Carolina's getting behind their team, and look, they've got a pig, and the people here love it. And that's cool. Like, that's fine. They're jumping on the bandwagon. But to see Montreal, like the streets of Montreal last night, and they take that shot, where it looks like a World Cup event, where the only other times you see crowds that are, like, that wild, it's soccer stuff, right? That's how deeply ingrained the Habs are to that city. I love it. I really do. I really see that, and I go, that's so great. And I don't do the whole root for Canada's team thing. I'll be rooting against the Montreal Canadiens in every one of these games, right? And if they win, I'm just going to go, respect to Carey Price, respect to Carey Price, respect to Carey Price. (laughs) But it is nice. It it was just nice to see that. Like, I I watched the celebrations last night as long as I could. I was saying with Sportsnet Connect or Central, and I wanted to – yeah see those people enjoying their moment and yeah obviously people are gonna dunk on them because some of it got out of hand but that's just what happens and people are pent up from the pandemic and being stuck inside and having this huge release all at once and i just um yeah i i, I am i'm i'm happy for that city man i really am that's nice
0: well, here's here's good news. The Islanders also have great fans, so uh, it'll be a, an absolute celebration as they shut that building down when they win the Stanley Cup yeah, with the Montreal the, Canadiens. The, so
1: the sweater battle, the histories, the – yeah. It almost feels like it's a lot li- – like the stars are aligning here to have these two fan bases great. go against one it. another. In one one it. games, all Stanley Cup finals, and everyone's like, wait, wasn't this the skill league? <laughs> Isn't this the league where <laughs> – yeah. Although, Cole no. Caulfield, yeah. That,
0: Woo! Mm. Anyways, uh, yeah, rooting for that. Uh, rooting for an Islanders victory. All right. Montreal Canadiens. First team uh, from this country into a Stanley Cup final since 2011. Yay. Uh, let's talk to Jeff Merrick of Hockey Central in <laughs> 31 Thoughts on the line right now. What's up? What's up,
2: Jeffrey? Yay. Wow. How's it going this morning, gentlemen? It's a wonderful time for Montreal Canadiens and their fans. It is. Yeah. No? Not That's picking good. it up?
1: Yeah, no. Their fans <laughs> not, that not, were not all it? texting me about how their team was the worst in the playoffs and how they sucked and how Bergevin needed to go and how Carey Price was washed and how the Shea Weber contract was bad. and that, Yeah, no. Yeah. Those fans totally deserved it. That And they didn't definitely have all those takes the... When they were down 3-1. Yes, of course.
2: So, anyways, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Down 3-1 to the Maple Leafs. Everybody was going to go. Everyone's getting fired. Everyone's getting traded. rebuild. And now all of a sudden, this is the 77 Montreal Canadiens. I know. But this is sports. We all know, know. what we signed up for. Yeah, of course. This is social media. We know what we signed up for. It's okay.
1: Buddy, I hope with all of my heart that next year people are going, and you said trade Mitch Marner, and now he's winning the Con Smythe. And I'm like, <laughs> that's right. You know, I never doubted it for a second. So, yes, of course, being a sports fan is being reactionary. Ben and I talk about this yeah. all the time, how yes. people now with the advent of the Internet or whatever, you want to like crystallize these opinions and go like, well, you said this at one point. It's like, yeah, yeah, I don't care. I say a lot of things. <laughs> I say a lot of things I don't really – believe uh and I also say a lot of things that I don't really think out so who cares but yeah I I said it man I I'm tipping the cap to the Habs they've done this incredibly well I I want to start with Vegas though because sure. we I I had we had CJ on I think it maybe was yesterday and I asked him you know what narratives he was most interested in with the potential outcomes of these series and one of the scenarios I outlined to him was are the Vegas Golden Knights actually a a tortured franchise if they lose this? Because the natural inclination for anybody who's like a Leaf fan is, what are you talking about? We're tortured. They're actually winning series. They're actually going deep in the playoffs. But now to have this, an exit where... A guy who I was comparing to Pavel Datsyuk gets zero points in the entire series, your leader, and just they get stymied this way, where they looked broken so early yeah. in the series, where they have this this moment, the Marc Andre Fleury turnover that you got to sit with all offseason.
2: Like, yeah. I kind of think that they are. We are at five years in, right? And we're talking about do they need to tear it down? <laughs> do they need to do something here? Uh, I'm not, I don't think anyone is going to or anyone should feel bad about the Vegas Golden Knights or, you know, uh, have we'll a pity party fans. for the, for the Vegas Golden. And I don't think anyone in general, you think about it. Stanley Cup final year one, great first round year two uh, conference final year three conference final year four. Should you feel sorry for this organization? Should we be talking about this organization being tortured or should we talk about this? organization wildly exceeding any expectations. Now the, the interesting thing about the interesting thing about Vegas is, and I don't know where I'm at on this cause I like, I like teams to kind of do it their own way and try to flout conventional wisdom about things like roster construction, but I'm going to give you four names. Okay. I'm going to give you four names and you tell me what comes to mind right away when I give you these four names. Mm-hmm. Chandler Stevenson, William Carlson, Nicholas Waugh, Thomas Nosek. Well, Does anything what jump I... to mind when I say those four names?
1: Um, no. Uh, well, I mean, as of this moment, uh, I the thing that jumps to mind is losers because they just lost. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't watch any of them. Actually, I kind of like Nosek, but... No. no. What? Is, I, is it supposed to be that we don't have a defining trait for any of these guys? No,
0: I think it's that they're underwhelming centermen for yeah. a team that's supposed to score uh, against, I mean, a very good defensive so team. But yeah, you, the, the, they you, don't you, have the you, center depth that even the, the Jets had.
2: So you, you look at how this team has been constructed. One, goaltending. Two, Blue Line and Alex Petrangelo, who really, outside of, you know, he, he was the only guy that brought it. Game yeah, in, good. game out, shift yeah. in, shift, shift out. Petrangelo was the guy. But this was built on the back end. This was built on goaltending. And this was built on wingers. Mm-hmm. And conventional wisdom in the NHL is always you build down the middle. right? You have the goalie and you have the centers. And then you fill in from there. Blue lines are really hard to put together, as we know. Vegas has spent all their money up front on the wings. Right, Whether it's Max Pacioretty or Mark Stone or Jonathan Marchessault or Riley Smith, they've gone a different route. They've said, you know what, we're not building this thing down the middle. That's not what we have and we're going to try to maximize what we do have and that is high-end wingers. I wonder if now two years in a row where the same question arises, which is where did the goals go by the end? You know, we can talk about how Mark Stone was blanked, and like he owned it last night. Mark Stone in that post game press conference was like, "Look, I got skunked, and a lot of this falls on me in the top forwards." Like he he wore that thing. Like it's it, I was saying to Elliot on the podcast, it must be easy to play poker with Mark Stone. Like Mark Stone must yeah. be the worst poker player in the world because he wears everything on his face. You can you can tell how this guy is feeling, but I wonder if they look at doing something down the middle. Right, like everyone thinks that Vegas is close. Everyone feels Vegas is close. Everyone sees that Vegas is close. So, what's the missing ingredient here? And I would look down the middle and say Stevenson, Carlson, Wah, Nocek. That doesn't sound like we're going to the Stanley Cup Final, boys, does it? So, I wonder if they do something there. And just to get everyone all, like, I'll just feed you a little bit of catnip here in the morning. This is a team that swings for the fences. This is the team that's in on every single big name that's out there. Should we not think that Vegas will be in the Jack Eichel sweepstakes?
0: Sure. And I uh, yeah, the the money is going to be an issue because they're up against the cap, but they have the 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 7 million dollars uh, yep. that Markon Bright Fleury, Fleury is making like Plus, what, what are Alec, the odds? Uh,
2: look, Alec Martinez is going to hit the market. Alec Martinez is going to get paid. Nick Haig is going to slide into that spot left shot D. So, but that's not going to cover it off. But between that and marc Andre Fleury, like the Vegas Golden Knights, now find themselves in an envious position where they can essentially just hand off a Vesna finalist for nothing but cap space. Mm-hmm. Here you go, take him. We need to address another issue here. I don't know. Like I, I, I don't know if at the end of it, Jack Eichel. Uh, is a solution or the solution for the Vegas Golden Knights. All we do know about Vegas is they swing for the fences. They're in on all the big names. And Jack Eichel is the biggest one out there right now. No reason to believe that they won't be in those sweepstakes.
0: Yeah. And Stevenson missed a couple of games in the series and even yes. when he's healthy, he's not exactly, you know, you yeah, had Alex Tuck the... playing
2: in the middle with Patriaretti and Stone. Mm.
0: Sure, but I mean this is I mean, this is Mark freaking Stone. Like and I get it. I know. Phil know had a had a great series. Like I still feel like it, it doesn't matter. I I get it. It it matters to a degree, and you're right, and it's an area you want to improve, but it feels like this one's gonna follow Stone for a while oh, until next postseason. Like to to not have A single point, and not only that, just not look dangerous. We talked about it in the opening segment. It's like Matthews didn't take as much responsibility, and I thought they talked about it too much about how many chances they had and how good Carey Price was in the series. But there's just no debating that that line created more than the stone line.
2: Look at the ice times. Elliot pointed this one out last night on uh, on television going into the third. I think Stone was yeah. at 16.33 and Pacioretty was at 14.33. I'm just doing this off the top of my head. But it was like around 16 and 14 minutes. Like Those are yeah, career lows for those brain. players. What's that?
1: We know you have a computer
2: brain. You no, 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 no. no I don't trust me. No, I've, I've, yeah, I've, oh, I've, mm, I've killed yeah, okay. a lot of it. I've seen it. No, no, no. I've but seen that's, it. That is that. Those those are season lows. Like these guys average, you know, eighteen and nineteen minutes of ice time, nineteen and twenty minutes of ice time every single game. And Peter DeBoer is saying, "Guys, you don't have it." Like everybody, yeah. everybody recognizes it. And I wonder if the solution is they need higher end centers because the thing about Stone and Ready too. And you guys, you know, talk a lot about things like aging curves for hockey players. Mark Stone's twenty nine years old. Max Pacioretty is 32 years old. Jonathan Marchessault is 30 years old. Riley Smith is 30 years old. I know no one's going to feel sorry for the Vegas Golden Knights, but these aren't exactly young players that are setting the league ablaze. I remember Doug McClain on uh, Trade Deadline Day a couple of years ago when the Stone deal was made, and it was, uh, wasn't just a trade, but it was a signing as well. And Max said to me, that is both the best and worst move of the trade deadline. Right now, it's the best. Right now, it's outstanding. You know, the Vegas Golden Knights got one of the best two-way players in the game, period. But he said, that contract's going to be a tough one after a few years at $9.5 million through to 2027. That's going to be a tough one. I don't think it happens next season or maybe even the season after, but eventually, aging curves catch up to every single player.
1: Yeah, I'm a huge Mark Stone fan, so it's Same. really tough because I just you know out of I would honestly I'm I'm not even being hyperbolic. I think that he's one of my normally any anyways like favorite players to watch. Like I think I had a tweet in, like a couple weeks ago about how. The playoffs is basically just the time of year where we start to appreciate Mark Stone more <laughs> because we start to just watch him and yeah. like put more eyeballs on him and everyone's like, wow, this guy's underrated, huh? Like he's like sneaky, important Team Canada guy and you go, yep, no, he's he's amazing. And this series, he sucked. You know what the thing about?
2: One thing I just want to make sure we get yeah. in here. The one thing about Stone that we didn't see at all, like what did we say? Like every time you and me talk about Mark Stone, stripping pucks comes up, right? Like this guy's yeah. like, that's like stripping puck. Did you see him strip one puck?
1: No. no, and, and dude, that, I'm glad you
2: brought this graphic, up because...
0: The turnovers and the takeaways. Yeah. That just didn't happen I... in this series. Yeah. No, go ahead. I was just saying that, yeah, we were talking about Elliot showing up graphics. I mean, in the first two series, he was, I mean, double-digit takeaways, and that was fueling his offense. And against the Colorado mm-hmm. Avalanche, who were, I mean, a sieve defensively compared to the Montreal Canadiens, that, that was basically how the Vegas Golden Knights created offense was from takeaways. Yeah. They had none in this series. That's how Mark Stone scored like all his goals during the postseason was on takeaways. It did not happen yeah. in this series. The,
2: the, the other thing that I found impressive about what Montreal did, and I don't have any stats on this. This is something I should send off to, to support logic or maybe our SN stats group, if they have something on this, but did it not seem like Montreal forced more icings than any other team in the playoffs?
1: Oh, that's a you thing. That's a Jeff Merrick take all the way through. I would have never noticed that. That's <laughs> like, that's a, like, how, that's, how a, many, that's right in your wheelhouse, buddy.
2: How many times were teams had you know? How did they they had to make those long bomb passes because short yeah. game wasn't working, and it just ended up back in their own zone. Again, this is just eyeballs, but it seemed like one of the most impressive things to me from Montreal's point of view is how many icings they forced, and how many broken yeah. plays there were at the blue line. Well, Vegas didn't have anything.
1: Like, that was the whole story of the series. Like, the after game two, it was basically, what, what are you guys going to do? Like, what, uh, where's your you offense? See. And it completely went to sleep. And I just, I, yeah, I remember, I, you know, I, I, oh, go ahead, Jeff.
2: I was going to say, I remember talking to someone in Vegas last year about what happened to them. And we kind of saw shades of this a little bit in this postseason as well. And this person said, look, um, Pete DeBoer is in love with creating offense off rebounds. Like, they'll take low percentage shots from the point, they'll take low percentage shots from the outside, but the goal is to make the rebound. That's what Pete DeBoer's system is, slash, was based on. But it wasn't there. It wasn't there because of the goalie, and it wasn't there because of the defenseman in front of Carey Price. And they weren't able to adjust and play a different uh, play a different way. But, you know, the guys were showing it yesterday on television, the low percentage shots from the point. Well, that's fine. The idea behind those is the Boers-style system predicated on capitalizing on rebounds. That's what they want the team to make. Just go out there and make rebounds, boys. That's where we're going to capitalize. We didn't see it. Didn't see it against the Habs at all.
1: So now i got to segue to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. And I can do it in three different ways. One is, like, we're talking about guys who... The, the, the guys I like in the playoffs are guys who can impose their will. And that's why it's usually that I love Mark stone is like, he's an impose your will player. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't able to do that in this series. Um, he's someone where we're talking about potentially his contract turning out to be bad. And why couldn't Vegas get shots and rebounds in front of the net? Well, because of a guy who imposed his will because of a guy who we talked about having a bad contract and someday the contract is going to be bad. And the guy who took away that front of the net, who's Shea Weber. And I'm watching this thing. He, I felt like he imposed his will all series long, like where it's just this guy is just a beast. He scores the goal that, like, gets things going, and it's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a Shea Weber clapper. This guy's never won a Norris before, and I remember, like, I this is going to be a two-part question for you. One mm-hmm. is, does the Stanley Cup make him now a lock? There's no debate anymore. He's in the Hall of Fame. And two... Can you remember a worse take, like something that ho- held up worse than like a consensus take in hockey, than the PK Subban for Shea Weber trade is a disaster?
2: Uh, disaster was too strong. I wonder how we'd be feeling about it if PK Subban didn't get injured, didn't significantly hurt his back. That's 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 the one caveat to this thing that we all always have to, to keep in mind. Um but the, the issue with Shea, with, with Shea Weber for P.K. Subban was the one problem that Montreal found right away is the minute they traded P.K. Subban, they needed to find someone that could break the puck out because that's not Shea Weber's game whatsoever. Shea Weber's big, strong, tough defenseman in front of the net, down low, with a booming shot that's going to dominate on the power play, specifically when he drops down from the point a little bit for the, uh, for the one-timer. To me, one of the guys that makes that whole blue line work is Jeff Petrie. Petrie's guy breaks the puck out. Period. That's the guy. Like I know we talk a lot about you know Sharat, and then we talk a lot about the size, and these guys are all like six four and six five. You know, Petrie's not a small guy. He's six two or six three. He just doesn't play like those other guys. But he has something that the rest of the 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 blue line doesn't have, and that's the ability to break the puck out. That's him. That's that's Petrie. He is the most unique player on that blue line um but again i don't think we should expect weber to be something that he's not like that's the thing like you get to a certain spot in your career and you're just comfortable with who you are and what you do and weber's been living in that pocket for a long time and he's really good at it yeah. and it doesn't se- it doesn't seem to bother him that he's hurt like that's what you always talk about this time of year like guys that are bothered by pain, he doesn't seem bothered by pain at all Like, we're going to find, like, all the big... And that's another thing, too. We should... Even though Mark Stone said he wasn't hurt yesterday, I don't know that I believe that from Mark Stone. (laughs) That's such a harsh
0: question if he's actually not hurt. It's like, you suck so bad. You must have been hurt, right? you got to be hurt, right? I I feel fine.
2: (laughs) You know Weber's hurt. You know Weber's playing through a whole bunch of stuff right now. Like, his... At this point, like he's put in some some heavy long miles and this thirty five year old body's being, you know, held together sometimes with, you know, toothpaste and toothpicks here, like MacGyver style, you know, trying to, to keep this thing going. He does not seem to be bothered at all by pain.
0: Well that's, and maybe one of
2: the most impressive things about Weber.
0: No doubt. And and probably that's the reason why he only had three points in the sixteen playoff games previous to yesterday in his first goal of the postseason. But maybe that's a sign of him like getting healthier and even more reason to believe in the Montreal Canadiens going into the final, that they've gotten nothing like they kept throwing up the stats of the points produced by the blue lines between these two teams in this series and and petrangelo was a huge part of that for vegas but that montreal has gotten nothing and not that they're built to to get a ton from the blue line but that guy's supposed to produce points especially on the power play like on occasion that they've gotten nothing from him mostly you Mm -hmm. would think because of the injury to start the postseason that maybe he's getting healthy at the perfect time for them it's a scary proposition
2: It is. You know, one of the great things that that we've seen from Montreal in this run is, and, you know, the stats come out, like, almost right away after the game is over, um, high-danger scoring chances. Mm -hmm. And Montreal just doesn't allow them. Like, they they just don't. I know that Carey Price is a wonderful story right now and his save percentage is, like, next-worldly. But uh, to me, the, the, the big story of the Habs here is how they just don't, put Carey Price in a situation where he has to be spectacular right now. There's a confidence they have in the goaltender, that's obvious. The goaltender's playing great, but they don't put him in a position where he has to stop a whole lot of high danger chances. And I think a lot of that is Philip Deneau. I think a lot of it is the blue line we just talked about. And I think a lot of it, too, is, and you want to talk about emerging stars? I know we talk about Cole Caulfield because of the shot, but Nick Suzuki, holy smokes. This guy's mini Bergeron. He's Mini Patrice Bergeron right now, at 21 years of age. You look at Nick Suzuki and you say, "You know what? Just put number 37 on his back already, because he already is starting to look like Patrice Bergeron. Just take the 14 off and put 37 on there."
1: Yeah, you're ruining my day. Like. It's already bad, and I'm like <laughs> – because you know how many times I've actually – I just, I have a confession. You know how many times I've actually <laughs> watched Patrice Prison going like – I'm like, at least you're old now, old man. Like, you know, like I get – We're getting so you rid of Get you. out of here. Like, get
2: <laughs> out of here.
1: It's yeah, no it's, longer just no, a perfection no, line. Like, let's Suzuki's, see what passes next. the next one, yeah. And no, then he's going to
2: do that. You're going to have no. a steady diet of Suzuki coffee for the next 10 years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I I I don't accept. <laughs> no, I can have nothing over the next ten years. I'm out of here. They win silica. Like it's. I'm already looking for my cabins in the woods. I'm posting up. I'm gonna live my life off the grid. It's gonna be great. Uh, I'm Rating gonna off, have a fine, ma- s- mailing off. I don't think you answered my question though. Like, do you think Shea Weber's what? going to the Hall of Fame? Locked uh, for Hall of Fame if they win this cup. He's got a Stanley Cup. He's a Team Canada stud. Two Norris runners up. Like, just a whole career of being... Like, I always hate comparing guys to players who are all-timers, but I just think about the... Okay, he's not Chris Pronger, obviously, obviously, obviously. But I do kind of feel like he was the generation... Like, the next guy in the... Well, that's the worst defenseman you want to play tonight guy. Like, that's the one dude who, when the puck goes in the corner and he's the defenseman that you get now for this generation, it's like, who's worse? Like, skill to... Meanness ratio, like the Chris Pronger Award of those two things, I kind of like. I've always thought it was Shea.
2: Yeah, and you you wonder too if he wasn't playing in Nashville for the uh, for the majority right. of his career, if he was playing somewhere else. Like, listen, he signed the offer sheet to Philadelphia. Like, if, say, he if he was playing with the Philadelphia Flyers uh, all that time instead of Nashville, how would we feel about Shea Weber? Because he'd be that much more exposed. I mean, it might just be a co- more of a comment on the Hall of Fame than Shea Weber. But the answer is is probably. You know that you can see they Shea Weber that. getting in there, and let's not forget too. I mean, the international reputation is is well earned. Um, I don't know many players that can shoot the puck through the net, uh, but mm-hmm. we've seen that with uh, with Shea Weber as well. I mean, probably this guy goes. Um, he was he, when it's all said and done. Like you ask any of the players, I'm always curious about the players' poll and, and see how players talk about one another. Like he's just a miserable guy to play against. Yeah, he's awful. He's nasty. He's he just makes life in a in a seven game series miserable. You know, this guy is not shy about anything. And again, like we talked about earlier, you can't hurt him. Like he can get hurt, he can get injured, and he doesn't care. No. And he yeah. comes back just as nasty. He's like he'll hit you, knowing that you know what this is probably going to hurt my wrist, but I don't care. I'm still going to do it.
0: It's going to hurt. It's you scary more. playing
2: against guys like that.
0: Yeah, that sounds terrifying. Uh, Jeffrey, thank you Gentleman, as always, buddy.
2: Ben, Sorry. JD, Thanks, bud. be well. You you it's, okay. it's okay that Montreal is in the Stanley Cup final. Let them enjoy their moment. This is a wonderful thing. <laughs> cheer for people. How about, about that one? It. I'm going to try to talk no, in. No, no, are there, okay. no. I don't want that one. Okay, a, let me really quick, really quick, because you want break.
1: I've seen that false oh. equivalency everywhere. Are, like, there
2: play, are there players on this team you can cheer for? Yeah, the, just the I player. T-
1: Yeah, I've talked about this off the top. Carey Price is one of my favorite players ever, Mm -hmm. like straight up. And I also really, really, really adore Shea Weber. I really like watching Nick Suzuki. Like, we keep having side chats about him. Obviously, Sam McKee is like – calls him son because he's the only sound attack legend. Like, there's guys on this team I like. I'm enjoying the hockey just fine. But there's no part of me ever, ever, ever that's going to be like, why can't you cheer for Montreal? It's like – Positive, be positive. It's like, no, no, no. Sports are negative, okay? That's the way <laughs> sports go. That's, your team loses. Is... They suck. One team wins. <laughs> One team wins. The rest of the team is losers. It's negative. It's a cathartic release. And, like, yeah, I'm not going to ever apologize for being, like, pissed off about a sports team. It's, like, the healthiest place you can put no. your anger and animosity sports and learn stink. that you don't control if, things. Like, yeah, it's that the best.
0: Doesn't, if, if that's not a thing, if you can't be – if you can't enjoy Schadenfreude, if you, yeah, if you just flip allegiances <laughs> so, because a team plays in your country, that
2: stinks. The, the the most JD Bunkus comment, and I'll paraphrase here based on our conversation, is this: the best thing about sports is hating sports. I'm JD Bunkus. Yeah. Pretty much.
1: <laughs> <Like> it's pretty <laughs> much it. So I'm, I'm good with that. I can live with that. <laughs> I really can. Put it as it. my epitaph. Jeff, we got to go, man. We're up against the break, but thanks, thanks for doing this, buddy. Later, bud. Have a good weekend.
0: See you, Jeff. Jeff Merrick of Hockey Central and 31 Thoughts. When we come back, Eric Angles from Montreal, uh, Sportsnet's own, joins us next. It is Good Show, Ben Ennis, JD Bunkus, Sportsnet 590, the fan. guest six minutes ago tweeted day off today and then a bunch of stuff thanking uh, people who followed him rightly so it was a nice tweet but the, the first part caught my eye <laughs> because we're gonna bother him on his day off after an incredible job covering this stanley cup semifinal series getting ready for a stanley cup final mm-hmm. series he's also gonna cover from montreal where the party is still raging i imagine eric angles of sportsnet on the line sorry for bothering you on your day off eric well deserved day off too
3: you guys are never bothering me it's always a pleasure to be with you
1: Hey, I, well, first question is just, do you know any, is there any buzz about more fans getting into the Bell Centre for the sure. Cup Final? As of right now, no. But I do believe that the Canadians are going to work hard between now and
3: Games 3 and 4 to get that number up. I don't know how dramatically it'll spike. I think what people need to realize here is that, you know, the Bell Centre... They're setting things up to manage things accordingly, so that they can get people in and out of the building in the safest way possible. And I like, I'm as someone who's double vaccinated and someone who sees the light at the end of the tunnel and the case numbers in Quebec and all the progress that we've made. I really do appreciate the push and everyone feeling as though okay, it's enough. It's time to like just let everyone back in and this and that. But you no, know, I think the government and their responsibility is to ensure that we don't take a step backwards. From this point and they don't want to be making exceptions to the rules that they've put in place. So I guess we'll see. Uh, hopefully things continue to progress in the, in the same way here and, and we get there if, if for whatever reason it does open up and that many more people are allowed in the building, um, it'll be a sign that we're continuing to move in the right direction.
1: Yeah, um, I, I get it. I I feel for fans right now. I feel for everybody that's watching these games or that, you know, you can't get in there and you still feel like you're being held back. And we all agree. Like, listen, you got to do whatever the the moat. You got to be safe, right? You got to balance practicality with safety. And I I do hope that more fans get in that building. I only keep thinking about this like, hey, uh, if you have more fans in here, can you not do it in a safe way? Like everybody's obviously piling into whatever, I don't know, Patio, they can saw the people outside. People are going to be pounding in houses like it's it's the Habs in the Stanley Cup final. Like people are going to be celebrating together. And yeah, last night was a scene. It was just it was incredible to watch. It was weird to watch though, living in Canada, where you're like, wow, crowds.
3: <laughs> well, d- don't feel too bad for them. Think of every fan base and what they've said about what they would sacrifice to see their oh, okay. team win the Stanley Cup. So, oh, I don't feel that bad. You no, know, no, it's been uh, it's it, it was uh, a lunacy type scene yeah. outside the bell center last night but outside of a few cop cars getting flipped and uh, a few people arrested uh the city didn't burn so i was good to see and uh there's more there's more in store <laughs> for for the city
1: yeah listen cop car twos that's what you that's what happens all right <laughs> it's like it's government money anyway Cost- that's it is it. That's, that was those people's cars anyways they ruined their own cars that's what they did um yeah what was that scene like because I saw people tweeting like they weren't letting fans out of the bell center like how long did that how long did that take to get people out like yeah just what was it like last night just the pandemonium the mayhem like everything involved because it just looked it looked amazing
3: yeah you know it was about a 20 30, 20 to 30 minutes delay to get people out of the building safely a because they have a protocol to, to let people out of the building so that they're not all in the hallways at the same time. But B, because they wanted to ensure that the mob outside the Bell Center started to move a little bit north away from the building and create an opportunity for people to get out safely. I thought they handled it really well, obviously planned really well. As far as what it was like, you know, on the way into the game, I'm driving on St. Antoine Street, which is on the south side of the Bell Center, and you had people lined up both sides of the street waiting to welcome the players into the garage. Uh, I drive a a decently nice car and I'm wearing a suit. So (laughs) the reaction to me driving in there was hysterical uh, until they realized it wasn't Cole Caulfield. But, um, you know, I'll tell you this, like the Bell Center, when when you walk in and pass through security and get to the set of elevators to go to the press box, what was amazing was that the minute I stepped into the elevator, you could hear in the elevator shaft the noise level from outside, which is like, you know, when you get into your own building and you hear the wind kick up through your elevator shaft, like it, it it really kind of set the scene for what was going on out there. I did a hit with Tim and friends uh, at about six Oh five. And right before me, Sean Reynolds was on. And I only heard him in my earpiece and what was going on out there. And the visual that came to my mind was just incredible. And then I watched it back after just to see the, the mob that he was in And, You know, this is so special, and it's for for a generation of fans that have never seen this. You know, I I was 10 years old when the Canadians won the Stanley Cup in 93. I have vivid memories of all of it. I I remember every detail of it, but there's an entire generation that's never seen the Canadians anywhere near this point, uh, other than a couple of conference finals. So it's uh, the jubilation in the city, coupled with the pandemic easing slightly, and business getting back to business, and... All that stuff conspiring in the middle of summer at La Fête Nationale yesterday. I mean, mm. it's a day that uh, I'll write a book about it one
1: day. I would say that.
0: Ooh, yeah. Tip your hand, yeah. I think you're grinding on that Pre-order
1: book on Amazon now, 24. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's, let's get it going. Send Eric your money yeah. now.
0: <laughs> uh, it's definitely going to happen, especially if they do uh, what they yeah. could do and win the whole damn thing. Doug um, and Eric Engels of Sportsnet. So, Kerry Price, has to be the face of this, I would say, even though his team has allowed it to not be 10-Beller after 10-Beller. He's made plenty of those, though, in the series. Who's the face, outside of Carey Price, who's the face of this for the Montreal Canadiens?
3: Oh, you know, I think it would be doing them a great injustice to pick one, because the the whole reason they're here is their entire team has stepped up. You know, it was funny, like, going into Game 6, I was looking up and down their lineup and saying, who would I pull? Like, who would I pull for this guy or that guy? And the answer is no one. Like, even Jake Evans, who was playing his best hockey uh, and was one of the Canadians most effective forwards going into game one, and you guys saw it in Toronto, uh, going into game one against Winnipeg, and he gets knocked out. You know, even if he was healthy and, and knocked on the door to come back in, who's he taking out? You, you can't find a guy. And it's when everyone has found a role and bought into it, when all the lines are being run out, you know, one by one and, and in waves and and everyone just is pulling in the same direction. That is what makes hockey the most special sport. It's the reason why uh, the unity of a team can beat skill. Uh, you know, it's the reason why hockey is a crapshoot and it's a dangerous sport to bet on. Uh, you know, I was saying this and I've said it in a few different places now, like football, you'll bet the quarterback and the coach and baseball, you'll bet the pitcher and basketball, you, you'll bet the favorite because more often than not, they're going to win. But In hockey, it's when you get a team that's playing the way the Canadians are, and I think there's a lot of parallel between them, Vegas up until last night, uh, New York and Tampa. You know, there's the template has been the same for virtually all of them: very hard defense, very committed team game, and that's why you know, outside of Price. I couldn't, I couldn't give you a face and say this run is all about this guy. It's It would be impossible because it would be the antithesis of what they're actually doing, which is playing as a complete team.
1: Yeah, no, that's bang on. And even as you know, Ben asked that question, I was trying to play the game out myself, and I couldn't do it because I just think when I'm going to look back on this run, that is what it's going to be all about. It's just how committed this team was to playing this style and how comfortable they looked playing it and how it's just like you expected this team to win. I will say, though, like one of the stories for me if we're going to the next thing is like... Because we can go to a variety of different places, right? Like it's like Phil Deneau shutting people down, Shea Weber's personality imposing on this team. But it's like the thing that was about Montreal going into this postseason that no one really felt good about was top-end talent, right? And we kept saying this whole thing of well, you know what? They're just not going to be able to score in the playoffs and like their goal scoring is so bad and like oh, when you compare them to Leafs, that's why you can't do it is because they just have guys who are game breakers and who can change things. And it's like... None of that feels fluky at all with Cole Caulfield. Like, everything he's doing right now is just legit. And we watch a series where Mark Stone can't get a point, and this kid is just scoring spectacular goals. And I'm thinking, man, where is he already in terms of, like, the best players left in the playoffs at doing this, right? Maybe not. he's not the complete player Mark Stone is. Who cares? Their team won, and he did his job the best. I I really do feel like one of the biggest stories or one of the things I'm going to think about is how – this kid, and I know Suzuki's been great and they've had other guys that have contributed, but this kid in particular just stepped in and was immediately the exact thing that they needed at the exact time they needed it.
3: Yeah. They might've been able to use it a couple of games earlier when he was sitting watching from the Toronto press box, but yeah, your (laughs) point is so, yeah, your, your point is so well made. And, um, you know, I watched Caulfield play about 40 to 50 games before he came to the NHL, and I really thought that a lot of people were getting what he's about wrong. Uh, I had kind of a unique glimpse of that and speaking to a bunch of people who knew him well and dissecting his game. And I think a lot of people said, this kid is just a sniper, and that's that's a huge mistake, and, and it's a big misunderstanding of what his actual skill set is. His hockey sense is absolutely elite. And one of the things that I think he does best is he puts himself in motion in transition. Um, And what I mean by that is he reads transition better than most players in the NHL. And, you know, you just see him the minute that, like, he reads exactly when the puck is going to get turned over so that he can put himself in motion and be the first option out of the D-to-D pass or the first up or the stretch or whatever it is and gets himself so that he's in that motion, that he can get the puck and take advantage of his skill set, which is his hands, his feet, and his shot. And you can't teach that. I mean, he just has it. But also what he has from a mental standpoint, the confidence that he built up in the second year at Wisconsin. I think the Canadians have to be thanking the Lord that they sent him back there for a year. What a development year this was for him. Um, the confidence he built up at the World Junior where everyone was looking at him and saying, well, he didn't put up the crazy points. He played amazing there. If you objectively watched him play in that tournament, he was unbelievable. Yeah, he didn't score the way everybody expected him to, but he played, he did exactly what I'm talking about, where people should have recognized what the rounded kind of skill set was with him. And I was kind of laughing watching last night, just saying to myself, like, I, I wrote like six articles in a row during March or whenever it was where the Canadians had a roster crunch and they couldn't find a way to get him into the lineup. And I'm just saying, like, just do whatever you have to. Get this kid in. And I remember Canadian fans at the time were like tweeting at me all the time, don't play him. You're going to ruin him and don't put him in this environment. And I'm thinking like, what environment? You have like Corey Perry, Eric Stahl, Jay Weber, and Kerry price in this room. Nothing is going to ruin this kid. You don't know anything about this kid. He's a star and he's going to be a star. He's going to be a superstar. He's already a star right now. I mean, I think he's, I've felt for the last couple of years that he's a tremendous player and, He just has the whole package, and when you're a guy like Tyler Toffoli, go on the Players Tribune and say he has the it
1: factor. Mm -hmm. um, You got to listen to that, dude. um, One of the like, we're having a tough time adjusting to certain things as sports fans, right? And we have takes that we grew up with that don't really apply now. And I'm not saying that there haven't been players that have been brought up too soon and exposed to too much, but. Look at just professional sports. Guys who are younger are getting called up. Guys are in their primes earlier. Like, this is the deal now. And it's also not the eras where, you know, Cole Caulfield walks in the dressing room. The guys are, like, hazing him to death, you know? Like, he's not fitting in with the team. All the other guys are young, too. Or there's at least a lot of other young guys that he's going to be able to fit in with seamlessly. Like, that's not the issue. I actually look at this now when we're talking about environment stuff. And we, of course, man, this is Toronto, so we've been doing the compare and contrast thing. But it's just so... I remember a younger, you know, more freewheeling Mitch Marner in the playoffs, and then you start to build up these demons and these scars, and all of a sudden you start to tighten up in these moments, and one of the things I love about the Habs young guys is, like, they've all just rolled over, like, Nick Suzuki, crazy good junior career to coming in here and it extending in the big stage in the big moment where the expectations were not insane in this market. And Cole Caulfield, like you said, coming from college and just immediately going like, I'm a stud. I've never had a blip of feeling like I shouldn't be me. There's no need, reason to grip the stick too tight. Come in here, just start winning. Like, all these guys, this is almost like the perfect development that you can ever have of getting this deep playoff experience, winning early, feeling confident, being around a group of guys that, yeah, are winners. Like, maybe not Stanley Cup winner in terms of, like, Carey Price, Shea Weber, but those guys have won a ton. Starting and they are no winners. Pressure right and and just having this like confidence just build you up, build you up, build you up, like even if they don't win a Stanley Cup, you've gotta be feeling just uh, ecstatic about what you've seen from these guys in this big stage and knowing that they've built these reps of we're already those guys, we can do this, we're gonna be comfortable in these games we're yeah we're we're gonna have this forever
3: it's it's a it's a really great point, and I'm kind of gonna bring it around in a bit of a circle here, but at the beginning of the year, we did a segment on Sportsnet. I was on with Cassie and Colby, and they were asking us, you know, who's gonna who's gonna win the North and who's gonna surprise. And I said at the time that my only my only stipulation here is that the Ottawa Senators are gonna surprise everyone, and they're not gonna finish in last place in this division. And everyone like flamed me for it, but my reasoning was mm-hmm. is that because is because they finally brought in some key veterans and yeah on paper you don't look at them and say oh good branson and and austin watson like these guys are going to help them win games on the ice no it was so important to have that veteran insulation around these kids because the national hockey league necessitates that you graduate kids younger and younger now from 18 19 20, 21. you know there's more of those players in the league now than there ever has been before and with a locked cap for the next three four years you're going to see more and more of it so if you don't have the proper insulation, that's how you end up burning a guy like Colin White, who they signed to, you know, a big deal coming out of entry level and made him the number one center and didn't have any insulation. He's going up against the best centers in the world every night and getting crushed. Uh, Thomas Shabbat is going to be a top defenseman in this league for a long time, but will he be as good as he could have been if he had that insulation? I'm not sure. You know, like, it's a similar situation if you look at Morgan Riley... Uh, I think, you know, you can't take away anything from Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, but the, the addition of John Tavares was massive for the Maple Leafs. It was huge for them in terms of the way he works on the ice. And I thought, and I said everywhere, I was on Dangle's podcast and, and I was on your show and whoever show, I felt that the Leafs had evolved in, in a great way in terms of the moves that they made in the offseason. And I thought the guys like Bogosian and Simmons and Thornton were essential to bring in, to show those guys how to really take over the team in Montreal, look up and down this roster. It is filled with winners, champions, and guys that have that, that pedigree. And to have guys like Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki and Jusperi Miami come in and watch what these guys do on a daily basis on and off the ice and how they carry themselves in the moments that are so difficult and pressurized is so valuable. And, you know, May said at the beginning of the year, I'm not all in. Because I haven't sacrificed my future, and he hasn't. Like he's built this team and given them an opportunity. He built them for the playoffs. He said he did, and you got to give him credit for that. And and he has not sacrificed the future. And now the future is even brighter because these kids are learning from some of the the great champions of of the last you know fifteen years. So it's that that insulation is so critical in team building now.
1: Yeah, absolutely, it is, and I think Toronto fans all thought that. They had gotten it right, and it turns out they uh, yeah they didn't. <laughs> turns out that going and getting guys from teams that uh, haven't won uh, maybe wasn't the the best way to go. Um, last one though to make Leaf fans feel a little bit better. I hope, anyways. Um, how much is Phil Deneau going to get paid? <laughs> it feels like that guy got. I, I don't know what you pay a guy like that. He's like one of the best guys at what he does, and he's get, he's gonna get a raise. It is a flat cap. I'm guessing that he's going to want to stay there. Maybe there is some discussion about a hometown discount. But, yeah, what what do you think he's looking at now after this run?
3: Well, Philip Deneau's best friend is the market right now. Um, you know, if the Canadians don't want to pay him what he thinks he's worth and what he thinks he deserves, pick 20 teams that will. I mean, the, there's there's enough teams out there that will give him a contract that he deserves. Uh, I think you look at Radic Fax's deal and you look at Adam Lowry's deal and you say it's coming in north of that. Uh, he's going to be worth more. And I know a lot of people are saying, oh, there's no offense there. He's still going to score 40 points a season in the regular season. And if he ends up in this lockdown role in the playoffs for the rest of his career, that's not something that's going to, um, it's not something that's going to degenerate over the next four or five years as he's 29 years old or however old he is right now. So, honestly a great deal i think for both sides would be something in the neighborhood of five years 4.85 to five million dollars somewhere in that range i think would make both parties quite happy whatever philip gets he he absolutely deserves and i thought that earlier in the year when it leaked out that he turned down six years of five million dollars a year or whatever it was he was really painted to be a bad guy and i thought that was just such an unjust and unfair position to for him to be in, especially knowing him as well as I do and what kind of person he is and how much he has bled for the cause while the team wasn't good enough. And this guy is, you know, he's heart and soul and cares so much about being a Montreal Canadian. And I think they'll find a compromise between them and something that makes sense, pandemic-adjusted, and based on the the comparables that are out there. Initially, when we're talking about that, you know, five-year, $6 million kind of offer that was the same deal that Pajot signed in New York. Right. And Phil had actually built a case that would have gotten him paid more than Peugeot before the pandemic hit. So pandemic adjusted, I think everyone was looking at it, it as like, okay, this might be a fair deal. Uh, and as far as him turning it down is concerned, look, but that was not a simple. I, I know, I know that they didn't just hang up the phone and say, Nope, we're not taking this. So, uh, we'll see where it goes, but I think they'll find a compromise, and I think it'll probably come in around what I was talking about. Five years, near $5 million bucks. And if that's what it is, and the Canadians have a shutdown center for the next five years, a guy who will sacrifice like Phil does, I, I think they'll be happy
0: yeah you gotta I mean no goals three points through the entire oh. postseason you almost got to add to his stat line the goals that weren't scored by the least top line and Mark stone zero points throughout the course of the six games he's series. been on
3: for two he's been on for two goals that's at five on five a game possible since game four of the of the and there was only two before that but the <laughs> four goals total playing against the best players that of each team I mean it's he's been unbelievable. And the no, penalty it, kill, by the way, which has killed 30 <laughs> penalties in a row. I mean, he's at the heart of that. So,
0: yeah, it's ridiculous playing most minutes of uh, any Habs forward as well. Uh, Eric, great stuff, man. Uh, uh, congrats on the best-selling book. Uh, when this Stanley <laughs> Cup run is over, that'll be amazing. I hope to get mine inscribed by you. I'll uh, send you my Venmo. For... Okay, <laughs> thanks, Eric. Talk again Take soon. You See you, buddy. <laughs> Eric Engels. Yeah, the Phil know thing is it. It's weird because, like, that would have been my guy. When I asked Eric, I, I kind of thought he would say to no. And I, I get it. It's not flashy, right? Suzuki would have been a fine answer. Cole Caulfield with the incredible goal yesterday. But this is the guy that uh, the Habs are here because they just they just give you nothing, and he's the face of giving you nothing. He He's shut down the best offenses in the National Hockey League some of the best scoring forwards in the National Hockey League and done it multiple, multiple times. He's been unfreaking believable.
1: Yeah. um, I remember when they were doing Team Canada rosters, like just hypothetical Team Canada rosters, and we saw his name on some of those, like over a year ago now. Yeah. When we were like pandemic, no content, and people are just doing whatever all the time, right, and going, hey, this is, the, this is what Team Canada would look like. And you're like, okay, um, how is this guy there? And now you're seeing why he would get that consideration because he's – I don't want to say he's the best at what he does because, like, you know, Barkov exists yeah. and – You know Ryan O'Reilly exists, and Sean Couturier, and who else has won Selkies recently? I don't know. Um, I don't know if Bergeron or Bergeron's still that guy, but he's just doing it as well as anybody can. And that's the thing about winning, and that's the thing about going deep. Is when you asked your question about like who's the one guy, it's like that's not what happens with these runs. It's like it's not about the one guy. You do remember all of the different components to that team, and like you don't have to look further than Corey Perry's Ducks team, right? where you remember that they had their version of a shutdown line with Sammy Paulson, right? You go, wow, that's what they had. They had their blue liners, their stud Hall of Famers, obviously, but you don't think you're going to remember Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie and the way that those two guys played, especially, like, throughout this run. It's just that's what happens is, like, everyone becomes immortalized. All of the guys that make impacts become the story because there's just so much story to go around. So I'm not really – like, I don't know how anyone could be able to be like, well, this run was about X after this. It's like, no, that's just it. Like, unless you do a JS Giger type run, where it, like, literally is all your goaltender, there's just so much room for narrative about everyone. And especially a well, team like this, where it's like, they're a team team. They're all the way a team.
0: If they win at all, Carey Price would win on the Con might though. That's it. Like, there's no one guy. So 100%. That, yeah, that's the... the and conversation. That's why. Yeah,
1: he it, is the he face of this. Didn't win. Whoever did would be like, please, please, please. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so Yet, sorry. <laughs> no, take it away. Like I, <laughs> I am petitioning this. Please give it to Karen Price. There's no way a Habs player want that. No way. Yeah, Cole yeah. Caulfield. Cole yeah. Caulfield, come get your cut, Smythe, and just grab it in front of Karen. <laughs> no, no chance. T- <laughs> of course
0: not. It, no, it's incredible, and he's been great. Uh, he hasn't had to be otherworldly like I thought he would. If the if you told me again one month ago, Maple Leafs are beating the Habs four nothing in Game Four, and you told me, all right, on this day a month from now we'll be talking about the Montreal Canadiens going to a Stanley Cup final. I'm like, well, Carey Price then did something I've never seen in the history of this game. Like he, he did, did something.
1: Ten million dollar player going to a Stanley Cup. Yeah, that's true. Uh, And he's been
0: great, but he has not been the only reason the Montreal Canadiens are here, which is shocking to me, considering how they were playing early in that series. When we come back, we'll talk to our friend, Chris Abbott, Cool Bet Chris, Cool Bet brand ambassador. It is Good Show, Ben Ennis, J.D. Bunkus, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.